section sixteen of open the door this is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. open the door by katherine carswell book two chapter three part one one on saturday afternoon according to mildred's invitation joanna went to panmure crescent the house as she entered it had none of its usual effect upon her and she passed through the blue and black hall quite absorbed with what face would he meet her but only her hostess and lawrence urquhart were in the drawing-room fancy mr pinder has had to go back to town isn't it too sad said mildred as she shook hands joanna standing there in the middle of the room felt as if she had been dealt a violent and treacherous blow it was a wonder to her that she remained erect but even so a moment passed before she could admit to herself that anything had happened town to any glasgow person means buchanan street and though joanna perfectly grasped the meaning of the word on mildred's lips she seized on this poor excuse for confusion as a momentary anaesthetic only thus could she survive the first shock without betrayal then as the drug wore off she faced the news with gathering strength he had gone away to london she was not to see him to-day she might not ever see him again she only knew by their shattering how many pictures of meeting she had woven since the parting of the night before with a costly effort she collected herself now and shook urquhart's outstretched hand it's hard lines on us mrs lovat was talking as she poured out tea and i expect mrs tulis will feel sold if she comes but it was good news for pender he got the telegram at lunch-time and just caught the two o'clock train some dealer from paris wants to see him about a one-man show there i could hardly believe it when he told me this would be the first either in paris or london it seems too preposterous but he says the money or the luck has always been wanting that pender should still be so hard up is a standing wonder to me when i think of his things there's only one pender don't you agree i take it said urquhart that he hasn't practised the great art of self-advertisement joanna moved impatiently in her chair i take it what a stilted way he had of speaking that's it exactly responded mildred with animation and not only that but he has never troubled to hide his contempt for those who do practise it they say he is the most unpopular artist among artists in london there's no doubt that something in his personality has stood in the way of his getting on but it's a sin all the same to think of the prices his stuff will fetch the minute he's dead and i've no doubt the dealers are beginning to realize this the brutes would you guess she continued handing a cup to joanna that he was getting on for fifty forty-seven he must be at the very least would you think so i can never guess ages replied joanna as she had to reply but i shouldn't have thought him so old to her fifty was age was worlds removed from herself her father she knew had been barely fifty when he died and she had always thought of him as an old man yet in connection with lewis pender the word fifty remained meaningless so far as she was concerned it had no bearing on him physically he may look younger perhaps said urquhart 
with calm unexpectedness but i myself should have put him down as older under the questioning looks of both the women he was quite aware that he had blundered but he persisted i mean he said he looks to me so sick and tired of everything i think he looks very much younger than his age said joanna displeased so do i i must say agreed mildred though of course i know what you mean mr urquhart he looks rather disillusioned his marriage ah uh, well and she sighed lifting her brows a little presently she noticed that joanna's eyes had strayed questioningly to a pile of art magazines surmounted by a case tied with tapes which lay on the sofa opposite beside lawrence urquhart don't tell me that i never showed you my penders she exclaimed is it possible mr urquhart has just been looking at them pass the case will you mr urquhart or will you sit on the sofa joanna hungering for a sight of pender's work joanna crossed to where urquhart was and sat down by him as he handed her the uppermost picture her eyes were so dizzied with excitement that she could scarcely see but instinctively with protective deceit she held it from her in the approved attitude of the student then gradually as her blood subsided and her eyes served her again she became conscious of disappointment could it be possible that he was only a fan painter certainly this that she held in her hand was the design for a fan to spare her the weight the drawings would have been upon her knees lawrence passed them to her one by one and she resented his handling of them more and more burningly she resented his presence mildred's presence mildred's running commentary of explanation and praise if only she might be alone with pender's work that now that you are looking at cried mildred pointing a forefinger it's early work of course and one can see that it was under the spell of veronese but even then it seems to me that he had nothing to learn from veronese himself in the matter of colour just see the red of that dress by the pillar in the foreground with the blue night sky behind these high arched windows doesn't it sing and the composition all these figures on a small fan yet the whole is as broad and mellow as a fresco on the wall of a palace the sense of space is marvellous under this fire of enthusiasm joanna felt her every nerve frayed but at the very point when she believed her endurance was at an end the drawing-room door opened and mrs tulis was announced as soon as she had touched pretty mrs tulis's hard hand and heard her little hard laugh which sounded too often joanna blamed and despised her the woman had finished and that joanna admired jealously she had a kittenish charm too though it was hardening a little growing a thought brittle enviable looks she had lovely hair and eyes and under all there was a hard excitable sexuality for which against her will joanna was sensible of a certain respect she believed mrs tulis worlds more attractive to a man like pender or for that matter to any man than she herself could ever hope to be she felt crude by the side of mrs tulis yet in that same instant she denied mrs tulis's claim to any attraction or beauty whatsoever nay even while she sat trembling with primitive jealousy she was possessed of the proud and dangerous knowledge of her own intrinsic superiority she could not have named it could not even examine into it but there lay in her a gift for pender which he could never receive or have received from this other woman 
and in this she triumphed within ten minutes not merely jealousy but ordinary interest had faded and joanna began to look once more at the drawings now all collected in spite of urquhart on her lap and by degrees as the voices of mrs tulis and her hostess sounded alternately now speaking of pender's enforced hasty return to london now questioning urquhart politely as to the exact subject of his thesis for a forthcoming fellowship she found herself entering into the fantasy of the artist at first she had been taken aback by the occasional weakness and even faultiness of his drawing now with her sight sharpened by decisive emotion she realized only that she was entering the country of his desire and that it was a country which she had longed all her life to visit it was a world of elegance passionately felt of gallantry founded on a perfection of melancholy its beauty was full of farewells at times resigned at times defiant but always exquisite and before one could enter this world one had to learn the idiom of its creator this was the more difficult because unlike so many moderns pender had imposed on himself severe conventions it seemed he had to work in fetters joanna discovered that he was least sure of himself when confronted by an actual sitter or a real landscape with any attempt at realism the soul was apt to go out of his work when mrs tulis left joanna hardly marked her going too during the next week she worked little and carelessly dividing her time between panmure crescent and sans souci she found herself avoiding carl nielsen's inquiring eye on the few occasions when she attended his class and was thankful that he never persisted to the point of speech she grew skilful at inventing pretexts for seeing mildred and if in their talk pender's name was not spoken she returned home feeling empty she brooded over each scrap of knowledge piecing them together very soon she was in possession of all that mildred could give her it appealed to her imagination that by the strangest of chances pender had been born in glasgow his father a hungarian actor with a self-cultivated talent for scene painting and his mother an english parson's daughter who eloping with the elder lewis had made a quite noteworthy career for herself on the stage had been staying in theatrical lodgings in glasgow when their only child was born later they had ceased their roving life establishing themselves at ailing and until she became an old woman madame pender as she called herself in her widowhood had maintained some reputation as a teacher of elocution in that suburb from the first young lewis had showed a gift for drawing and his mother had let him follow his bent at the art school he had quarrelled with his teacher been disliked by his fellow-students and failed to win all save one of the scholarships on which his parents heart was set but even so there was never any doubt of his ability and now at middle age after many rebuffs and much bad fortune he had in his own peculiar way arrived concerning his marriage joanna could not bring herself to question her friend directly but there was no need for here with some head-shaking mildred was at her most communicative he had married young she said a handsome girl of more distinguished social connections than his own and his wife's money though it had unfortunately been lost within a few years of their marriage had helped at a critical time in his career 
it was common talk that for many years past he had foraged for love though always with a certain discretion outside matrimony and surprise was sometimes expressed that an open break had never occurred now it was no longer expected people understood that the couple were held together by worldly interest and by their twin sons born in the first year of marriage old enough now for one to be in the army and the other just entering the indian civil service three at sans souci apart from femi herself it was the music which had become the great attraction for joanna though femi was the only one who had been trained save in the most haphazard way the whole family was gifted with music and the sisters besides having good natural voices possessed an extraordinary sense of style joanna never tired of listening on the evenings when five or six of the girls crowded round femi at the piano to try over bits sometimes out of an operetta at other times from the st matthew or the st john passion music for they all belonged to the bach choir and practised hard for the easter performance in the cathedral then how serious fresh and beautiful the pringle girls looked but always after a time nora the youngest grew tired of not laughing and she would introduce some absurd words or with all the terrific complacency of a prima donna some flowery musical phrase of her own until at last the chiding gravity of the others was upset once our nora started there was no stopping her and from making subtly comic grimaces she would grow wilder and wilder in her clowning till every one was in paroxysms and there could be no more bach that night nora it was who discovered in some magazine the marvellous bloom bath alleged to be the secret of mrs langtree's beauty and one afternoon when joanna should have been at the art school she and nora and femi in their petticoats with shrieks of laughter and pain nearly steamed the skin off their faces there was always some ploy forward with the pringles and joanna who in these ways had never been young before entered into everything like a schoolgirl it was some time before she realized that the pringle girls deeply hated the disorder and publicity of their home life that although outwardly they combined with zest to keep it going each concealed a passionate longing for escape femi especially fretted for the day when she and her jimmy would be able to afford marriage and the existence the two had planned for themselves was in every respect opposed to existence at sans souci a dignified and beautiful quiet was its essential no ornaments hardly as they only make work femi was discoursing one night as she showed joanna the piled-up treasures of her bottom drawer but lots of really lovely linen all kept with lavender in among it oh i do love the feel of good linen in my hands don't you joanna and lifting out a folded linen sheet elaborately hem-stitched femi sniffed its fragrance appreciatively with her little nose and all the furniture real antique jimmy has collected quite a lot not arty you know joanna but just old and good and chintz covered with roses in the drawing-room and all jimmy's books and a beckstein grand and the bedroom all white with pink roses on the wallpaper roses i do love and adore and at nights jimmy and i will sit before the fire in perfect armchairs reading 
and of course i'll change every evening into a tea-gown the most exquisite ever pink of the palest and fearfully simple as she spoke Femi was rummaging in the drawer she could keep no drawer tidy not even this sacred bottom one and presently finding what she sought she drew forth a nightgown of gossamer what do you think of this pattern my darling that's none of mamma's goods as you may perchance guess our nora got it from an american girl feel the stuff joanna laid admiring fingers on the lawn and lace and put her cheek luxuriously against its softness she thought of madalena and seemed to hear her bass voice denouncing the beautifully flimsy garment and surely madalena would have died of horror could she have seen femi dressing any afternoon to meet her jimmy in town every drawer and door in the bedroom stood open and from a tousled trunk under the bed femi would select a flower a feather a tip of fur or bow of ribbon which straightening impatiently before the mirror she would pin upon a hat from which last day's trimmings had been hastily torn sometimes the result was happy oftener it was not but always as she turned her bird-like head this way and that to see the effect of the decoration joanna was delighted by her friend's odd endearing beauty you see continued femi breaking into joanna's thoughts of madalena i suppose a woman is a kind of fairy to a man isn't that so my darling for one thursday calling at panmure crescent on the pretext of returning a borrowed book joanna found lawrence urquhart there again she was vexed at this it was three weeks now since pender's going and she had come hoping for word of his return but she could not bring herself to speak of him before urquhart i am glad you have come to-day joanna was mildred's greeting i have news for you i think it will please you she continued nodding mysteriously just wait a moment the letter is downstairs and she left the room a pulse beat in joanna's throat surely at last he must have written or was there news from the town council if his designs had been accepted he should be back in glasgow more than ever now she wished urquhart absent why should he dog her footsteps in this way but he seemed unconscious of her resentment and the moment mildred had gone he began to talk with less than his usual hesitation he had just discovered he told her that his mother who as a girl had sat under joanna's grandfather at st jude's had been in those days a constant playmate of the bannerman children her particular friend it seemed had been a daughter called gina that must have been aunt georgina asserted joanna though it is difficult to think she was ever little and even if she was i can hardly believe that anyone would dare to call her gina come one afternoon to our house and talk to my mother about her invited lawrence she will love it if you will she asked me to tell you so joanna promised that she would call upon mrs urquhart and an afternoon was fixed for the following week even while she told herself that in common courtesy she could do no less she found herself interested suddenly in the young man's dark irregularity of feature certainly his face would light up in an unexpected way mildred now returned holding an open letter here it is she said now listen and tell me if this isn't what you have been longing for 
no you mustn't go mr urquhart it's nothing private no indeed it isn't do stay and give us your opinion lawrence who had risen sat down again with a glance at joanna's averted profile and the letter was read out it offered joanna her first chance of earning money a friend of the lovats the manager of a leading glasgow drapery firm was making a new departure he wanted something fresh in the way of catalogues frontispieces and advertisements generally designs were to be submitted here was the chance for young talent did the lovats know of any if you think i'm good enough said joanna more than doubtfully when mildred had finished it was indeed what she had longed for the first steps towards that independent life in london which was her dream yet the actual suggestion filled her chiefly with the terrified sense of incompetence it seemed absurd that work of hers would be thought fit for reproduction and payment how she must have imposed on people that such an idea should be for a moment considered now they would find her out yet she knew she would try why of course you are good enough mildred encouraged her and i hope for one design you'll send that nice thing you were working on the other day women dancing i was so struck with it i don't wonder val plummer says you have a feeling for drapery what is more nielsen says the same put in lawrence glowing with satisfaction and joanna was reminded by his remark that in the three weeks since the dance the two introduced by her had become good friends so it was arranged and joanna found that she had agreed to send in six designs by a given time after all she told herself if she failed she could kill herself in spite of her disappointment about pender of whom no word had been spoken she trod home that afternoon on air five according to her promise joanna set out for the urquharts on the following thursday afternoon but she grudged the time her designs were going to take even longer than she had expected and she was aghast at the unfinished and feeble appearance of work which unchallenged had pleased her a month before the widow whose only child lawrence was lived in a small top flat near the boyds in north kelvinside on her way there therefore joanna had to cross the high bridge which for her would always be associated with bob rankin and then she had to pass the steps where four years ago she and bob had parted when she came to the bridge to her surprise a slight trembling seized her far behind and done with was that experience yet the peculiar mystery of it still remained quick and as it were ambushed to spring out hurtfully upon her at the touch of memory why was it why was it that there was no such quality of torture of canker almost in her memories so much more tragic of mario for a moment she leaned on the parapet where she and bob had once stood calling themselves lovers and in that moment more clearly than by spoken word the truth of the past emotion was made known to her how she had lied to herself and to bob how sick she had been with self-love why she had merely invented him as a lover to meet her need had cared only for her own invention never a scrap for the living man she had used therefore now she was open-eyed and ashamed bob had been more honest than she he had at least been struggling amid the bewilderment of his blood towards a truthful attitude 
if only he could have pierced clean through all her pretenses they might have emerged together achieving real contact as it was she was thankful for the bitter and humiliating knowledge that had come to her at length and she was grateful to bob for his part in it now that she knew the venom was gone from the memory for her there would be no decking of altars to sweet first love the dead branch could be ruthlessly lopped off and she did not regret even her falseness she did not regret no she gazed down on the full brown february flood the last pieces of ice were breaking from the banks and being jostled in mid-current among torn branches of trees although a spring thaw had set in many of the rhododendron bushes were still covered with hoar-frost on some bushes the folded leaves hung down like the lop-ears of a hare on others they were cocked up in tufts like the feathers of a field-marshal's hat everywhere the evergreen bushes flourished hardy and rank and between them rushed the swollen headlong water ah how remorselessly the stream swept away all the debris of winter it could reach as joanna watched it in fascination she was one with it and she rejoiced her life was it not as that flood was it not muddy littered unlike the life she would have imagined or chosen but it was a life it moved it possessed the impulse the impetus the inner fount of desire not of mere detached wishes that succeed each other capriciously but of desire that springs from some undiscoverable source and is imperious as the waters in springtime if only she had the courage to obey her true desire always would she not be purged ultimately of all her falseness this at least was her scarcely articulate faith at the urquharts a charwoman disguised against her will as a housemaid admitted joanna and led the way stealthily down a long dark and stuffy passage even in the darkness the solid tastelessness of the dwelling was made known and there were many traces of that kind of careful spirit as different from simple thriftiness as from poverty which cannot endure to let outward show correspond with reduced circumstances at the far end of the passage they came to the dining-room and as she entered joanna's sense of oppression was increased by the sight of a large table spread solely as it seemed in her honor with so many specimens of tea-bread that it looked like an exhibition of bakery she could not have told why but the plated tea-baskets at the corners the great abundance of rock cakes the tall forbidding teapot on its beaded mat and the chairs of horse-hair and very ruddy mahogany which had been pushed up to the damask did undoubtedly combine rather in the cold effort to defy criticism than in any spontaneous hospitality but as mrs urquhart crossed the room to greet her joanna was fully enlightened here was the source of suffocation in the house here in this woman with the large pale face the beautiful snow-white hair of an astonishing thickness at one time no doubt black like her son's and the great cashmere bosom surmounted by a heavy gold brooch like a snake coiled and knotted in her large comely whiteness mrs urquhart seemed to joanna to absorb light and oxygen 
as might some powerfully succulent plant anything staying beside her for long must surely yield up its share and languish though one of the two windows was open at the top joanna could have cried out for air as her hostess bore down upon her not that lawrence's mother was not smiling even gushing in her manner in talking she frequently leaned her body towards joanna's with an enveloping movement clearly meant to convey an impression of quite remarkable warmth each time this happened it is true that joanna found herself drawing back with instinctive hostility but whenever she had done so she was somehow made to feel herself in the wrong what i give such a hearty welcome to my son's guest and this is all the thanks i get mrs urquhart seemed to say aloud she was making the ordinary polite inquiries after mrs bannerman's well-being but here again her words and the impression she conveyed were two very different things and joanna though she struggled against it understood at once that in the speaker's estimation her mother was a highly ridiculous and eccentric person i had a great admiration continued mrs urquhart a very great admiration for your dear father mrs you must excuse me i have never grasped your married name joanna informed her and flushing rather from annoyance than from shyness begged to be addressed by her christian name her requests came automatically simply because it was expected of her and even as it crossed her lips she knew she was being bullied by this heavy white woman she was sure that the excuse about her surname was untrue yet was it not all friendliness on mrs urquhart's part yes i admired father repeated the elder woman exuding a geniality which was falsified by the little calculating fixed eyes i worked with him many a day at the foundry boys and the children's dinner-table and when my boy told me you were coming to tea i was glad to welcome you for father's sake no man in glasgow i have always said was more respected and so handsome too and a smile for every one lawrence had an idea that you had his features but i cannot say i see it no to my way of thinking you favor your mother joanna having nothing else to say felt that she must thank her hostess at this point for having so kindly invited her not at all was the rejoinder lawrence will tell you i make all his friends welcome as far as my means permit i was always one to let the boy choose his own companions and i encourage him to bring them to the house it cannot be said of me as of some mothers that i grudge any innocent pleasure to the young folks if only lawrence appreciated this but you would wonder at how many of these evenings he spends with friends mother never sees as some response to this was expected joanna supposed at random that lawrence had to see such friends in connection with his work he seems to be a worker she said with an attempt to brighten things up she resented being forced thus into the position of lawrence's defender but it was true that she credited him with tenacity i am glad to hear it the mother spoke these words in such a curious tone that joanna looked full at her but she looked away again in distaste of what she saw i suppose he has told you mrs urquhart pursued that his present fellowship ends within the year joanna wished angrily that lawrence would come and interrupt this stifling conversation why was he not here was there a purpose in his absence 
but while she longed to disclaim any knowledge whatever of his affairs she found herself speaking against her will of the thesis she knew lawrence was just then writing on some anthropological subject in competition for the hume fellowship ah i'm glad he confides in you mrs joanna said mrs urquhart of course he will have told you of the trip to the continent he is bent on taking shortly with this mrs nielsen with carl nielsen really joanna exclaimed now with genuine pleasure how i envy your son i'm sure no one could be a more perfect travelling companion than carl i'm so glad it was i who introduced them to each other you know it would not be true to say there was no ring of defiance in joanna's enthusiasm and the sense of conflict between the two women increased i haven't a word to say against mr nielsen mrs urquhart spoke in cold reproof i have never met the man i merely hope he realizes that the boy's work has to come first you my dear will understand me when i say it is pure mother love makes me so anxious nothing must distract lawrence's attention from his work at present you have seen already that i grudge him no reasonable pleasure during this speech and more of the same kind that followed joanna felt like a fly which is trussed up more and more completely in the scarcely perceptible trammels of a spider great was her relief when a sound in the passage outside told of lawrence's arrival mrs urquhart who had heard also rose and moved to make the tea with an agility surprising in one so stout i always feel she concluded just before her son came in that a female friend a little older than himself can have a very steadying effect on a young man during tea lawrence spoke and ate little but he looked more than once from joanna to his mother and from his mother back again to joanna more than once his mother reproached him for his inattentiveness in the matter of handing cakes but she herself made up for this by constantly pressing food upon her guest she was affronted when joanna refused a second kind of jam both preserves are home-made declared the hostess as i ought to know seeing i made them myself but perhaps there is some other kind you would prefer there is apricot in the sideboard sooner than this joanna yielded and helped herself but the food seemed to choke her to this invitation sent by julie that she should come one day to colessi street mrs urquhart shook her head i'm none too strong she said with my heart as lawrence will tell you and could never climb that terrible hill of yours but maybe mother could manage round here one of these days joanna replied that her mother was no caller either but we are flitting in may she added we shall be near here then yes she went on in answer to a look from lawrence our house in colessi street is too big for us now my brother sholto is away and before long i hope to get work in london so you're never going to leave your mother alone again interrupted mrs urquhart while lawrence searched joanna's face silently so that she wished she had not spoken not alone mrs urquhart she replied in a tone of forced lightness there's lynette my other brother at home besides i don't think mother will want always to stay in glasgow my sister is in london why should we not all be there together after a few years this last idea of a family life in london 
was a protective invention of the moment it was far enough in truth from joanna's latest ambition yet affected as she was by lawrence's questioning eyes so steadily set upon her it became when once uttered a possibility to be considered all the same what right she asked herself angrily has he to look at me like that and with cheeks aflame she continued to talk rapidly about the new house it is in la france quatrant she exclaimed just opposite one of the main door flats i believe you could see it from here and rising abruptly she went to the window she was glad to turn away her face lawrence followed and they both stood looking across the bushy gully of the kelvin yes there not far from the lower bridge joanna showed him pointing as if her life depended on it with the tip of her forefinger pressed against the pane almost opposite the flint mill do you see the yellow blinds three four five windows beyond the lane that's it before she left she asked lawrence if he would come to colessi street on sunday afternoon both her brothers would be there she said Scholto was arriving from his farm on saturday to stay at home till his ship sailed for australia a fortnight hence she invited him hoping that he might refuse but lawrence looking simply glad accepted at once End of section 16